You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. courageous in my faith, I encourage others to be courageous. Did you know that? As your pastor, when I'm courageous, I encourage you to be courageous. But the flip side is also true. When I give in to fear, I influence others to give in to fear. And the same with you in our Christian lives. If I'm courageous in my faith, I encourage others to follow me as I follow Christ. And if I back down, I discourage others from standing. Your courage as a Christian affects more people than you might know. Have you ever been emboldened to stand up for your faith because you watched someone else do it? Well, Pastor Danny develops this idea today, that when I'm courageous as a follower of Jesus, I encourage others to be courageous too. But when I back down, I discourage others from standing. It's time to step up and to live as fearless followers of Christ. Who knows what your courage could do? Who your courage could encourage? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 with today's edition of The Living Word. You're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. And what Pilate is going to find out in very short order is that it is truth actually speaking to him. It's truth embodied before him. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. And with this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a rebel and a murderer. And yet they say, give us Barabbas. And they want Jesus crucified. Let me read you one verse from Matthew's account of this encounter between Jesus and Governor Pilate. Matthew chapter 27, one verse, verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Did you get that? This is fascinating to me. 
Pilate gets an opportunity for a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And in that encounter, while he is in that encounter, a message comes from his wife. And what God did was give his wife a dream that had a particular point, And the point was, Jesus is innocent. And the message is clear. Hey, hubby, <laughs> you better make the right decision regarding this man, Jesus, because I've just had a dream. God sends a dream to Pilate's wife in order to speak to Pilate that he might make the right decision regarding Jesus. Well, back in John's gospel, and it's my belief that these next verses happen after the message from his wife, John chapter 19 and verse 4, once more Pilate came out and he said to the Jews, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. What had happened was he had been flogged by the Roman soldiers. They had mocked him. They had put a purple robe on him and they had slapped him in the face with his head covered and said, prophesy, O king, who hit you? They took a crown of thorns and they pushed it down on his head. And so now he's bloody. He's beaten. And Pilate is hoping, hoping that now that uh, the people see him, the Jews uh, see him in this condition, they'd be satisfied. But when Jesus came out wearing the crowns and the purple robe, Pilate said, here's the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. That's the third record we have of Pilate publicly declaring this. I find no basis for a charge. And the Jews insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Boy, does Pilate's emotion really get racing here. The next verse says this, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He was even more afraid. When you put all the accounts together, it's an easy conclusion. There's something going on. There's a word that describes Pilate's condition. It's called conviction. <laughs> it's conviction. It's the state of convincing a person of error or of compelling the admission of a truth. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent. Pilate is compelled to believe he's a king. He's not a king of this world. His kingdom is from another world. Listen, listen, let me just say, when you compare all the accounts of the encounter between Jesus and Pilate, here's what you conclude very clearly. Pilate came to believe in Jesus Christ. And yet, the record of Scripture and the record of history indicates that he was never saved. He was never born again. He believed but he never took the courageous step to do what he needed to do to be saved. Let's read the rest of the story from John's gospel. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. You know why? Pilate already knows. He's from another world. 
Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, get this answer. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. That is a political threat to Pilate's position as governor. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And here's how Matthew or John ends it. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. But that's not the whole story. That's why God gave us four gospel accounts And if you read all four gospel accounts, you get a clearer picture of exactly what happened. And I read finally from Matthew's gospel once again, chapter 27, beginning in verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting. He took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and he handed him over to be crucified. You got the picture? Okay, then let me try to make it as abundantly clear as I can. Pilate is standing before that crowd, washing his hands and saying, this man's blood is not on my hands, now it's on your hands. And in doing so, Pilate took a stance that was not against Jesus. But in taking a stance that was not against Jesus, he never took the courageous step and took a step that was for Jesus because if he had taken the right step that was for Jesus, because he's the one in the authority to send Jesus to the cross. And if he had taken the courageous step because he believed in Jesus, it would have cost him. It may have cost him his position as governor, certainly to cost him something with the crowd. And so what he ended up doing, well, there's a term. There's a term we have for it. You know what he did? It's called, listen, listen, it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. It's an excuse, avoiding responsibility in order to avoid trouble. It's a cowardly or feeble evasion. Here's what Jesus said. He who is not with me is against me. There is no middle ground. (laughs) But listen, listen, we've got people in the world and they're not against Jesus. They got nothing negative to say against Jesus. They just are not taking a stand for Jesus. Do you realize we have people in the church and they don't have anything against Jesus, but they're not taking a stand publicly for him in their world, in their school, in their neighborhood, It's one thing to say, well, I really, 
I got nothing against him. It's another thing to take a step and say, listen, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And what he stands for, I stand for. And when he stands for truth because he is truth, I stand for truth no matter what it costs me. Did you realize when I'm courageous in my faith, I encourage others to be courageous? Did you know that? As your pastor, when I'm courageous, I encourage you to be courageous. But the flip side is also true. When I give in to fear, I influence others to give in to fear. And the same with you. In our Christian lives, if I'm courageous in my faith, I encourage others to follow me as I follow Christ. And if I back down, I discourage others from standing for truth. Deuteronomy chapter 20, God records for the Israelites some instructions before they go to battle against the enemy. Let me read you the main section of God's instruction. Verse 1 of Deuteronomy 20. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Don't be faint-hearted or afraid. Don't be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord, your God, is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. And the officers shall say to the army, Has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else may dedicate it. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Has anyone become pledged to a woman not, and not married her? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. Now that's not saying, hey guys, if you got any of these commitments, don't go into battle. Go fulfill the commitments. No, he's saying if you're going to go into battle, you better realize there's a potential cost. And the last one he challenges them with. Then the officers shall add, is any man afraid? Or faint-hearted, let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. Because if he retreats, he leads his brothers in retreat. But if he charges, he leads others to charge with him. Remember when the children of Israel first got on the brink of the promised land? Numbers chapter 13, God instructs Moses, send out 12 spies, one representing every tribe of Israel, send them into the land of promise and let them bring back a report. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 26, says they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Anak was a giant. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites lived near the sea and along the Jordan. And these were people that were fierce warriors. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. 
They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, giants. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. And because 10 out of 12 spies had no backbone, no courage, and no faith, they caused a whole nation to wander in the wilderness for 40 stinking years. 1 Samuel 13, Israel has its first king, King Saul. He's an impressive guy. I mean, when, when he's presented before the people, he's a head taller than any other guy in Israel. He's good looking. He's GQ. He'd make the front page of their Jerusalem post, and, and everybody's impressed with him. I mean, this is the king, man. And then the Philistines come against Israel. And their king is called to lead them against the enemy. Chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, verse 5, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth And when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks, and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. They went AWOL. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear, which tells us that Saul also was quaking with fear. They're all hiding. Nobody will go out and face the enemy. No courage. No faith. But among them, there are two young men that they're not aware of their courage and their faith. One is Saul's own son, Jonathan. Jonathan would, in days to come, become like a blood brother to David. And I think one of the reasons David and Jonathan became so close is they both were men of courage and men of faith. Chapter 14, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, verse 6, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go over to the one of the Philistine outposts because we don't need a whole army. I mean, if God is with us, <laughs> the two of us can take on all those guys. His armor bearer says, I'm with you. Let's go. They get there, and if you'll allow me to summarize the story, Jonathan feels led of the Lord to say to his armor bearer, here's what I think the Lord will give us as a sign. If we show ourselves to these Philistines and they say, you wait there until we come down, we'll teach you a lesson, that'll be a sign we're not to engage them in battle right now. But if we show ourselves to them and they say, you come up here and we'll teach you a lesson, that'll be the sign. Now, if it were me, I'd have done just the opposite. I'd have wanted to, you wait till we come down to you, and then we'd just wait for them. But no, Jonathan feels led of the Lord. This is what the Lord's sign is. If they say, you wait, you come up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. So they show themselves to these Philistines, and the Philistines say, you come up here, and we'll teach you boys a lesson. 
And you can see Jonathan looking in his armor bearer. His armor bearer looks at him, and they begin the climb. And here's what the Bible says. They got to the top. In that first attack, verse 14, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. But that's not the best part of the story. Here's the next verse. Then panic struck the whole Philistine army. Those in the camp, in the field, those in the outpost, in the raiding parties, everywhere. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God because two young men had the kind of courage to go and stand before the enemy and say, listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go face them. And God sent a panic. He shook the ground. The Philistine army, they're actually in confusion and turning on one another. It goes on to tell us that Saul and the men looked down, and even those that had gone on the other side of the Jordan, a wall, they began to hear the tumult and the panic and the ground shaking, and they went. And when everybody saw now that the Philistine army is on the run, that's what it says, on the run. Can't wait to see that DVD in heaven. They're on the run, and two young guys, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they're the only two guys chasing them. And when the other Israelites see this, they, I'll read it for you, when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So the Lord rescued Israel that day. What a great story. I'm not done. Philippians chapter 1. I don't know of a warrior... For God, any greater than Jonathan or David, Jonathan's armor bearer, men like them, and certainly one of the New Testament warriors was the Apostle Paul. You look at all he suffered. You look at his courage. I mean, they just couldn't, they couldn't beat this guy up enough to stop him and to shut him up. And here's what he writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Well, here's the last point. It takes courage. But my courage today then needs to be renewed tomorrow. I need to persevere. I'm going to read you very quickly. The last part, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. So don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, that's cowardice. I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Another way, again, of saying it is if you are the real deal and you're hiding in a cave, you're hiding in a thicket, you've gone AWOL wherever, and you're not right now standing for truth. You're not really standing publicly for Jesus Christ when you have an opportunity. If you are the real deal, Come back out of hiding. Make a fresh commitment. 
to stand for Jesus Christ. Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series from the book of Hebrews. When you think about all of the really great things that life might have to offer, the book of Hebrews points to the fact that Jesus is better. He's better than the angels, better than the Old Testament law. He's better than all of the things that you think are so wonderful. When you come to that realization, then actually knowing him personally makes everything better. Do you have this kind of hope and assurance about Jesus? If not, we invite you to get in touch with us and ask us more questions about what you're hearing. You can reach us at info at ccfstpete.church. Once again, our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Our heart's desire is for you to know Jesus in a personal way that gives you that confidence that Jesus is better. We encourage you to keep tuning into this series to learn the truths that are revealed. Before we go today, we want to mention that if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Just go to ccfstpete.church and get directions and service times. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. Thanks for joining us today, right here on The Living Word.